Nature Works Podcast. Conversations with extraordinary guests who are working to protect, regenerate, and better understand the natural world. With your host, Mike Weeks. Welcome to Nature Works Podcast. And this week, I'm speaking with Guy Haler, who is an avid surfer and the co-founder of the Blue Earth Summit, which, by the way, I myself am speaking at in October this year in Bristol. You can check the show notes for dates and links to their website. So in this episode, Guy and I discuss the relationship between business and environmentalism, balancing modern life with concerns for a finite planet and the vision of the Blue Earth Summit, and so much more. Remember, if you enjoy this episode and others, please share it with the folks who care about the natural world. NatureWorks podcast is free of sponsors and advertising, and our aim is always to provide honest and unbiased insights into how we can help protect, restore, and of course, regenerate the natural world. So what I typically do here, Guy, in our incredible podcast cell, uh, which, we've yeah. had, which we've had built here in Bali, is I give the nod to uh, Moyan, who does the recording on camera. So when I've got a guest opposite me, we just chat away for five, ten minutes, and then they go, uh, when are we going to start the podcast? And I go, oh, we started five or ten minutes ago, you know. And um, okay. and then and then they don't they don't have that like lights camera action. So guy, what has been the most difficult experience you've found yourself in in the last twenty years? I'll take a deep breath in. Exactly, take a deep breath in, and then uh, and realize it's probably me asking that question is the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Where are you? You're in, you're in, you're in Cornwall, aren't you? You're in down in Lands End. Uh, I'm not actually. Today I'm in Exeter. So we've got. We, we sort of ended up employing lots of people based on talent over that sort of funny two years of lockdown. And um, we've ended up with a hybrid situation of an office in HQ in Exeter, creative team down in Cornwall, marketing team in Bristol, and then sort of um, a handful, a selection of people in London. So we've got the Southwest pretty well covered. And the we, um, we is, um, is, the, is the wavelength media. Yeah, it's never an easy one to explain. When someone, if I sit next to someone and someone says, what do you do? I sort of think I might just lie here um, and, and, and go for a really simple answer. But yes, the we is Wavelength, which has become a group. Um, it's kind of split among, what is it? Media events and ventures. Um, so it started out as Wavelength, the magazine, which was a sort of core title that's got a lot of heritage, dates back to 1981. We took that on as a, as a, as a title, because uh, we were excited around the creativity that we could bring through that through that sort of print, print side of things and then build a community of outdoor enthusiasts. Um, and and then off the back of that, we're lots of lots more creative work and kind of broaden out from, from wavelength. And where we've ended up is going into delivering experiences that inspire that outdoor mindset. And then we've got this ventures arm that is funding businesses that kind of align to our ethos. So it's kind of, yeah, in our minds, it's quite simple, but it's never the easiest one to explain. It took a while, and I can tell you this from experience, because I'm now getting closer to 50, <coughs> much closer to 50 than I was to 40. Oh, I am to 40. It took a while yeah. for people in the outdoor world, surfers, climbers, skiers, etc., to actually connect the fact that they are intimately connected to and in many ways responsible for the environment that we live in. Uh, when I was 18, I went to the south of... I left home at 16 and went on the road climbing for a decade. But I went to the south of France to a place called Bukes, which is a world-famous climbing area. And I was so excited to go there because I'd read about it in magazines for years. And and I, the, I remember the first thing I sort of got out of the car with our rucksacks on, walked across this beautiful, pristine stream, walked 10 foot, maybe 10 yards into the forest at the base of it and saw the first pink toilet paper which shit all over it and somebody's turd. And then you walk another 50 metres and there's another one and there's a crisp packet and then there's another turd and then this is in the south of France and which is this world and it's this world famous climbing area. And there was a bit of a 
an, a sort of in-joke amongst climbers that anywhere that you saw toilet paper out in the open with a turd on the trail, you knew French climbers were around. Now, you can't, <laughs> you can't actually blame the French climbers for that because I then later went to Spain to... Um, the, to um, uh, God, I forget the name of it, but for over a month, and, and it was the same problem. I went to Australia. It was the same problem. Nowadays, you go to a crag climbing area and you wouldn't i mean you would just if you saw toilet paper you would know it wasn't a climber absolutely would know it wasn't a climber all of my surf friends here in bali um you know they're all part-time environmentalists some of them are full-time environmentalists and it's fascinating to see because that's what you're doing with wavelength and you've connected a a, a surfing yeah. magazine to this to through your other work which is an environmental cause yeah, for a long time, we thought our whole sort of outdoor lifestyle side of the business was miles away from what we do around helping impact businesses grow. And they were sort of two separate things. And we kind of grappled with that. And I think there's a few moments where that's kind of the penny penny sort of dropped. Um, I think when we were designing the idea of the Blue Earth Summit, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get on to that. But I remember talking to my business partner and of the three of us, I would say he's the most sort of authentically sustainable he's he's always just done done right wherever possible and i remember asking him why why do you think that is and he just and he goes i don't know i don't really know uh sustainability for me is is second nature i just you know i'm i'm in the ocean um i'm enjoying the countryside i've got kids so i why would i i want to do my bit to just put it back it was and, and the penny the penny drop moment was when he said sustainability for me is second nature and he, he doesn't. He never really goes around talking about it. But it was that piece to say, "I just do it because it's the right thing to do." And I think that kind of comes back to where the outdoor community has gone to. Anyone that I know that you know, the big thing for me is surfing. Anyone that surfs is really conscious about protecting protecting the ocean. And if you look at all my friends and connections and business people that I know that surf, everyone's doing something about it in their own different way. And more often than not it's through the, through the work that they're doing so it is it is interesting to see how that that shift of what was originally a surfer was a beach bum who probably smoked too much weed um and was doing nothing with their life has now become the sort of frontline environmentalist and def definitely agree with what you're saying on from that climbing analogy yeah so many of my close climbing friends and and i i lived in the very the upper echelons of the some i mean the very best climbers in the world you know the people i'm holding the yeah. ropes for and going Amazing. on climbing trips with and so many of those guys it is exactly that it's and i include myself in that to a degree but it's second nature that you go on these trips you go minimally you typically as a climber most of my climbing mates are, have traditionally been skin and so it's not like you're buying anything excessive. You're not you're not a consumer. You know, you're using a fleece from two or three years ago, although in many cases my friends would be sponsored, but you know, you're dirtbag climbers. I spent ten years living out the back of trucks and camper vans and yeah. and stuff isn't important. The most stuff I had was books and a climbing rack. And and that is living in a sustainable way. Yeah. What it what it isn't doing, and I think this is why it's so important that people like yourself and your group are doing the events and doing the work you have it's just those those live lightly type of lifestyles are sustainable but they're not regenerative they're not creating solutions to the problems that have already been created and so i actually try and avoid the term sustainable now because i don't want to sustain where we're at i want to regenerate and you know we're we have this land here this farm that we're working on here in bali the company uh, uh, bought it we're custodians of it for the next 10 years. We're cleaning out all of the Subak streams every day. We get onto that because it's relevant to surfing in the oceans. But we're, we're into regenerative agriculture because we know that we can actually fix a lot of the problems that have already been created. I sometimes yearn for the good old days of almost a ignorant bliss where I just, I could just go back to being a climber and raising my kids in a camper van and, but this, the problems are too big and I can't sit by and let other people deal with it, you know, without me being in the fight. Yeah. On that climbing thing, I've just watched, um, and I'm sure a bit late to the party, but I've just watched that alpinist and his 
Um, have you seen that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just amazing. I think that comes back to that true essence of just the simple life and his simple life is, I guess he, he's chasing the impossible climbs. Um, and I guess that I w wouldn't surprise me if you sort of peel back the layers for what you're doing with the conic, the bit that I've always liked about you guys is you go, you go after monumental challenges that most people would shy away from and say that's impossible. And I bet there's probably similarities in a lot of people saying, well, you couldn't climb that route and that mentality as a climber to say, well, I can, I've thought about it. And if we do this and get the right team together, we can make it happen. And then you sort of bring that, bring that psyche into a work environment. And that's probably, there's probably a lot of correlation between extreme outdoor enthusiasts who then go into business with that sort of mindset of I'm not, I'm not scared of anything and there's no challenge too big and I want to do more and I want to do better. Um, I think you see it quite a lot, even when you see a professional, professional athlete in a more, more mainstream sport going into business, they often go and do quite well mm. because they might be an amazing team player or, um, you know, they're, they're able to adapt quickly, but it is always amazing how you can draw those lines between really efficient business operators and people that have that passion that's probably miles away from what they do day to day. You know what? I think it is because I've, I've, I think, you know, I've spent the best part of 20 years consulting and working in large organizations and breaking down the patterns of what makes people really successful. And one of the, one of the hidden patterns that I've identified when it comes to people uh, a bit like myself with a background in high-risk activities, and certainly in my business partner or colleague, Jake, who is the head of our platform, who's designing all of our environmental sensing systems, and he spent 15 years in special forces and was in Ramada, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, and has been to many of the biggest war zones on the planet over the last 15, 16 years. Um, what it ends up boiling down to is that you've, in your earlier years, you've taken such risks on a daily basis where failing meant death or worse yet, not just your death, but the death of people you care about all around you, like being an expedition leader. So then going into business and taking on big projects that if they fail, okay, you may lose capital and you're certainly going to lose time and you're going to lose hair. Um, you know, or it's certainly going to go grey, but you're not, no one's dying. And I think there's this, there's this uh, range of what then becomes acceptable. Some people have said to me, even recently, they're like, you're a lunatic. You know, you're taking on the world's largest regenerative agriculture projects. The next nearest thing is 10, no, is 20 times smaller. And I'm like, yeah, but even if we fail to do the full half a million hectares, I bet we'll succeed at 100. And what are we failing at? Yeah, so we don't get it right in year four or five. We get it year right in 10, and we learn from it. It's not like, okay, everyone's lives are on the, on the line here. Let's pull back and let's go somewhere else. Um, and I think that's yeah. one of the underlying, you know, it's why you get surfers and climbers and skiers and, and the likes being good at taking risk and, and having vision. Definitely, definitely. It was quite, well, it's a huge step running your own thing and taking on new projects. And we, we, we do a lot of that, well, arguably too much, but we're always going, right, we've got this event and we want to launch that event. We want to have this impact. We want this part of the business to grow. And it's, um, yeah, we are on the, we're, we're constantly taking risks. It's constantly about investing time and money into new projects that we believe can have really good impact and deliver profit. profit. But it's, um, yeah, you're 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 sailing pretty close to the wind always, <laughs> searching for the next thing to to grow. Um, so yeah, there's definitely you've got to you've got to be a bit of a lunatic to want to run your own thing. I think you have a lot of people. And see, they they see the the romantic side of it, but actually there is um there is a, a lunacy side to it. But yeah. as long as you've got good people around you, then um you can run at anything. And so, do you consider yourself more entrepreneur than uh, environmentalist or I mean, where do you, do, uh, you, do, and tell, tell, tell me I, a little bit about your business. Like I don't know anything about it and how it works across the environmental, the impact, the investing, the. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's become more of a shift. I think I've always, I've come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I've always watched, there's everyone in my family and there's, you know, 
two parents and, and, and two siblings, everyone's got their own business and they're running their own projects. So it's kind of always been in, in the blood. And I've always shied away of actually calling myself an entrepreneur because I sort of feel like, I don't know, there'll be a point where I sit back and go, look at what I've, you know, I've, I've achieved something. And at that point I can say I'm an entrepreneur, but it's, um, um, I guess running your own thing, there's lots of different ways that you can, you can interpret it. And then that shift into becoming more of an environmentalist. I think I've sort of, had a bit of a moment a couple of years ago when I looked back and looked at the majority of the projects that I'm working on have always had, they've always been involved in businesses that are a force for good, that have positive outcomes on people and planet. So then that environmentalism side of things starts, starts sort of shining through. Um, and the idea of having purpose and profit has, it has let, is less frowned upon these days. It's actually more applauded. And I think more people have come around to the fact that the two go hand in hand. If you're, a really purposeful business um, and you're making profit, you can grow and you can achieve more impact. So that that's become a bigger, better thing. And um, so that's enabled me to become actually lean more towards that environmentalist side where, where we kind of have impact as a business. I think it's kind of, there's, there's two sides to the business. If you sort of stand back and look at it on one side, we on the media and events, we're trying to inspire the consumer to build that outdoor mindset. Um, we're big believers that, there's a, there's a much cleaner, simpler message, which is to tell people to get outdoors more, get in the water, surf, go up a mountain, ski, run, cycle, have that connection with nature, value their playground. And then that creates a mindset where they want to have a positive impact. They want to protect what they know and love. And then the other side of our business is more towards if you've got, if we've created that mindset for inspiring content and experiences, the best way that you can have impact is by aligning yourself with or being part of or starting up um, a business that is a force for good. So on that side of the business, we've got uh, a ventures arm, which where we find and fund high growth, high impact businesses. So in the last two years, we've raised, I think it's 75 million for about 23 different businesses. All of those businesses align to that ethos that I just sort of explained of the power of the outdoors inspiring healthy living, inspiring a sustainable mindset. Um, and then kind of sitting at the heart of everything that eventually pulled it all together is this um, new event that we launched last year called the Blue Earth Summit. And that's built on those two exact foundations. Let's inspire as many people to connect with, with nature um, and take that positive mindset into delivering business as, as a force for good. Um, so that's kind of where, where we've end, ended up. And, and it sort of all, all came out of uh, um, quite a disruptive three years of, uh, you know, through, through various lockdowns and a, and a macroeconomic world that is changing faster than we can blink um, and, and make, make keeping us entrepreneurs on our toes. Um, yeah, it's, all, it's all, all ended up being, being creating a bit of an ecosystem. So really we've got this media side, this event side and this venture side. And if anyone works with us in any part of that, we hope that they can get value from the other bits. So if we get someone in raising funds, a good example is we just raised four and a half million for a brand called Finisterre. Um, they're often coined as the British Patagonia. I've done a couple of raises with them. They're really growing at an exciting pace. Um, very cool brand built on such a solid foundation of doing business the right way, having, having a solid impact. Um, but the exciting thing there is they came to us and we helped them with funding, but we can help them activate via our media channels um, and get them in front of our community of outdoor enthusiasts. We can then bring them along to our events where they can bring their headline messages, speak um, and, and be a part of it. So ideally we've got this kind of ecosystem that if you're like-minded, you wanna be inspired by the outdoors and use business as a force for good, you can plug in in whichever way you want and um, come out and be, be part of the community and push push forward and, and succeed. You, I know Finisterre um, and you mentioned Patagonia, um, which for me is, I mean, I read Yvonne Chouinard's book probably the first month it came out, Let My People Go Surfing. It was a profound shift. I was, yeah, yeah. I was an entrepreneur. I'm happy to call myself that, you know, because I've failed in so many businesses <laughs> and had a few successes. <laughs> and I think that's what makes yeah. an entrepreneur. You're not an entrepreneur unless you've failed it in, in, at least once. Uh, there's plenty that I've swept to the side. <laughs> yeah, of, the course, of course. <laughs> um, we don't want anyone crying whilst listening to this podcast, right? So, uh, But yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah Yvonne Chunard, for me, was the 
was the profound moment of thinking, wow, you can actually totally commit your business to doing good, being transparent, being honest, and not having to hide the warts and all. Um, and it becomes profitable. I mean, he's the first to say that every time that they've put the environment first and said, right, we're going to increase the prices of our T-shirts because by 30% because we're using all organic. And uh, the sales teams are like, you can't do that. That's insane. And they do it anyway. And they yeah. sell out in the first couple of months. Um, yeah. <laughs> and when they put an ad out saying, you don't need this jacket, this is how much yeah. impact it's had to make this jacket. People think they're trying to do reverse psychology and they're not. And the jacket sells out because yeah. there is a desire in all of us to, well, I say all of us, so it's not, I, I won't generalize, but there's plenty of desire to just buy stuff. But if you can buy stuff and feel like that money is going to a good cause and that it's actually protecting the planet, I never feel guilty about buying Patagonia stuff. I always feel good about yeah. buying it um, as one example of, of many. Um, how do you ensure that with the companies you're working with and, and raising money for and companies you're bringing on onto the Blue Earth Summit, how do you ensure that they're not part of the great greenwash? That's a really good question. It's, um, I think it's becoming harder and harder to sort of do your own internal due diligence. I think, there's quite an instinctive nature. We, we really get to know the founders and the people that are running the business. And I think you get a bit of a sense. I, I certainly feel as though I feel a bit of a sense of the people that are pretty genuine in, in wanting to have impact. Um, and I, they're usually the first people to admit that they're not perfect. It, it, it's always a little bit of a, a, a telling sign when someone's saying, you know, it's almost presenting something that is just so unrealistic that they everyone everyone's having an impact and, and, and people have got to be pretty open with that. So... I guess 10 years of, of working with all sorts of entrepreneurs that are wanting to have in, impact and some amazing founders, you get you get a bit of a sense of the people that are, are doing things the right way and the honest way. And it often comes down to um, quite a lot of common sense. There was a really nice story that came out of the Blue Earth Summit uh, last year um, from a friend of mine who I've done lots of work with um, called Jim, and he runs a company called Jimmy's Ice Coffee. Um, and when I first spoke to him, he, and I explained what the Blue Earth Summit was, he has totally resonate with it, but I, I can't get involved in that because I've got an iced coffee company and we have little plastic caps and I feel awful about it. And I said, Jim, that's, you, you're in those little packs, the Tetra packs, because at the time, that was the most sustainable packaging solution that you could think of. And I know full well how you look after your, your people who run your company. And I know that in every way possible, you've always done the best that you can. Um, because at the end of the day, we're always going to consume things. Um, and actually, of anyone I know, you're probably, you you're, you have way more positive impact than, than you can have. So uh, I did end up convincing him to come to the Blue Earth Summit. And then um, he was on a panel and it was last year. So it was in October. COP was um, coming to the UK, COP26. And everyone was banging on about COP. Um, and he was on a panel and he leant forward and goes, sorry, what's COP? <laughs> And the I whole knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and I was like, actually, that he's the most genuine person up there because yeah. he he's definitely an outdoorsy person. He's got a family. He wants to do right by the people in his company, his customers, and all that kind of stuff. And he hasn't got caught up in the sort of the jargon that surrounds this sort of what's become a marketing word in sustainability. He's just gone with the sense of I'm going to do the best that I can where I can. Um, and that that for me is the most genuine way to say I understand that person. I know what he's driven by. He wants to have impact. He wants his company to succeed, of course. He wants his pe people to people that are involved, the customers around his company, all to be happy. Um, actually, where he's ended up going, he's no longer got a plastic lid. He invested, I think, in the millions to have this infinitely recyclable aluminium, very cool can. And the icing on top for him is that he invested loads in this can that does well by the planet. So he's done done it all for the right reasons. And because it's quite a unique can, it really pops off the shelf. It's um, their sales have gone flying through the roof. And so he's, he's made that decision to do things the right way, regardless of all costs. And it's ended up being a really positive, positive story for the, for the, um, for the business. So that's a very long winded way to say, how, how do we work out who to work with and not? But I think 
of course, there's kind of metrics you can look at. And we always look fondly upon anyone that's got B Corp accreditation because there's always good governance, but nothing can really be a sort of instinctive nature of trying to read a person to say, are you doing this purely for a business sense or have you got the right intentions? Yeah, you know when the guy isn't using his knowledge of COP and the the themes that are running in environmentalism, etc., greenwashing, carbon, sequestering. You know when people are doing it because they know it's the right thing to do irrespective of how much press they're going to get yeah. or how, how much it credibility back, they're going to get. It comes back to that point where I said my business partner, Lindley, said to me, I, I don't know why I make those decisions. Sustainability is second nature for me. And it, that that you know that is far more refreshing, probably far more impactful if more people had that mindset of, of course, I'm going to do that, but make that decision because it's better for the people around me and the planet um, rather than justifying it or saying, look at me, I'm making this right choice and feeling the need to put that on social media. So you're around a lot of people who are, experts in their field or they're giving talks on the leading edge of environmentalism sustainability or conservation or being in the outdoors but keeping it focused on the environmental aspect just for now being having that exposure to those types of people you're exposed to a lot of new information and how much of that has impacted you inadvertently so that you've been listening to talks, you've been dealing, you know, you've been working with these new companies, your friend Jimmy's iced coffee and the like. How much of that impacts you directly and has also um, impacted the business? A huge amount. I think we were, <laughs> on one side, we, we are exposed to a huge amount of information. So it's, it's, it's having the ability to take it all on. But I think, you know, when you have an event like the Blue Earth Summit where you've got amazing speakers from Bertrand Picard to Sir Tim Smith um, and we've got some brilliant ones like Mike Mike Barry who who was behind the plan A at, um, at Marks and Spencer's and the likes of Richard Walker who is is becoming an environmental more and more he's becoming an list but he's running Iceland you're exposed to all these brilliant people who have amazing opinions and thoughts and, and how they're going to run things and so you you, you pull little nuggets of information that you think ha- I really like that and that's really applicable to how we could run our business or there's little bits that we could take and and um, and bring into our team and, and certain new mindsets and then I think it so that that's from the advantage of running an event like that we're exposed to some amazing leaders and pioneers that we we can certainly learn from but you also I, I definitely learn a huge amount when you're raising a business money um I quickly have to become an expert in their field. Mm. Um, and that can range from Finisterre being a sustainable fashion brand in the outdoor space um, to I, I ran, I've done three raises for a company, a, a, lithi- a lithium company called Cornish Lithium, who are in that mining space. They're being pinned as the best hope for a domestic supply of lithium in the UK, which is pretty important. If we're all going to drive electric cars, it seems crazy to be shipping in lithium from. Uh, Australia or Chile and so quite quickly I've become an expert in well not an expert people call me an expert of in the lithium market so you you learn you, you, I get exposed to some incredible businesses where I get the opportunity to learn about that market how they operate and then again there's there's lots that I can then bring back into the businesses that we're running supporting the events that we're bringing it it, it probably dictates more than I more than I imagine the types of themes that we bring into into the Blue Earth Summit because it's bits that I've learned. So it's, I don't know, conversations that I've had from, from one, one, one founder to another is one's super proud of becoming a B Corp. Another one might say, always thought about becoming a B Corp, but it seems like a lot of effort and we're doing a lot of good anyway. Do I need that accreditation? So then next thing I'm going into a meeting the next day to say, actually, thinking about b corp we should do a talk about the challenges and benefits of becoming a b corp so i think there's probably a lot of information that i pick up and lots of interesting topics and where i don't necessarily understand it i'm in quite a fortunate position where i can say well the best way for me to learn about that is to put together a a keynote talk where we bring in an expert to talk about that or if there's a debate pull 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 a group of people together around 
around a certain topic. We had a really interesting debate at the Blue Earth Summit around um, greenwashing and what to look out for. Um, so that, that was really insightful. We had some brilliant workshops that talk about s sustainable supply chains. That was probably uh, people queuing out the doors because everyone's trying to get their head around on what they can do to be better. So there's lot, lots of different ways that we get exposed to amazing information. And I think it's just pulling little bits and applying that into our businesses, often sharing advice on what other people are doing and passing that on to founders that I'm working with and then sort of bringing that into themes and topics that we then get to talk about and educate more people on. I think in the great greenwashing and, and again, referring back to your friend with his plastic caps, it's... It, we, we've got to be cautious moving forward that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and expect everyone to be Patagonia overnight. You can't be. And Patagonia wasn't Patagonia overnight. They they had all sorts yeah. of unethical sourced products. Um, and they still now even uh, will reveal that, oh, we've just stopped using this supplier because we found out that they were doing X, Y, Z or the work conditions weren't right for their staff. And, and you know, if your your friend is doing everything he can, but up until a point all he had to use those plastic caps but everything else was good 80 percent in the right direction is still better than zero yeah. percent or if or 50 percent or and so i i think because i i gave a talk to actually i won't name them but uh, i gave a, a sort of consulted and gave a talk to one of the world's largest hedge funds um a few months back and i could tell what they were doing whilst taking the information from the talk and from the other speakers that they were doing it to so that they could say we've got these expert advisors coming on board and we're now putting all of this time and effort and money into their expert opinions and and of course it's just covering their their chemical fertilizer and their oil and gas investments and their but every year they're doing an, another four or five percent more of investment into more ethical and more environmentally sound companies and that's better than nothing you know it, like there's a need to be pragmatic i'd love tomorrow to throw out all of my synthetic non-organic everything from the cupboards and i have an empty cupboard well no i'd have my patagonia stuff left i guess and stop using my motorbike because i don't you know we don't have battery bikes here yet in bali um, but it, there needs to be a certain pragmatism about the whole thing. And I think if you've been a businessman and you know that it's better that, the, that people are fed and watered and make their wages whilst you make in gradual improvements, that's better than shutting the company down because you can't find an alternative to your plastic yeah. cap too soon. It's, it's such an important message just for people to hold their hands up. No one... I don't think you can name anyone that's perfect. <laughs> it, being perfect is impossible. And if if that's where it, that's where we like that simple message of just start with a really simple, clean, positive message of get outdoors more. Because we're, we're all a little bit bored of being told, don't eat meat, don't drive a diesel car, don't go outside and when when you got pandemics, don't use single use plastic. That that is um, one. It's got loads of negative connotations, and two, it's sort of a little bit of like. Well, I will if I want to, but it, it, if you actually just go um, get outdoors more and, and value things, then, you know, try and get into the right mindset where you want to do good wherever you can. And that is important wherever you can, because you're not suddenly going to wake up and, tote, you know, like you said, empty, empty your wardrobes. One of the biggest debates that comes up time and time again that no one's really got the answer to is if you kind of look at our world, certainly in that surfing world, and I'm, I'm still guilty of it, I love traveling. <laughs> yeah, I love going around all the world. Uh, where you live is is probably one of my favourite places in the world. I've spent the best part of the year out in in Indonesia, hopping from island to island. But I, I'm not willing to sacrifice the the travel side of things. So I'm jumping on aeroplanes, and I'm still a massive part of the problem. Where I have made a conscious decision is I used to when I was living in Cornwall and working in London a lot. I was on a flight all the time going up and down you know that was my that was the way i commuted so i've tried to totally cut that out and use trains catch lifts um i've definitely tried my best to cut out sort of quick quick city trips um shorter trips and then focus on bigger more sort of inspiring adventures so that i, I kind of reduce it but 
there's 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 um there's so many examples like that where you could say well if i really believed it well i'd I'd have an electric car already i would definitely be vegan i would uh stop traveling and actually we've still got to live our lives um but it's just finding it's fine everything in moderation i guess is 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 an overly simplistic view but it, it then where I'm getting to is you don't want to terrify people and say, so you've got to drop everything and change. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot of people that if they like, a, if they make a few percent change and it's millions of them, the daily mail reader, right? The, yeah. the person that isn't environmentally conscious, they're concerned because they're scared, but they know not what yeah. to do, but now they're buying fair trade and re and they're recycling and they're using less water. They're turning the tap off yeah. whilst cleaning their teeth, you know, or they're, etc. Or like you say, taking the train instead of making a flight. It all adds up. Yeah. It all, all goes. Which is through. ironic, actually, talk, talking to you about this. I feel like I'm helping lots of businesses that, you know, incrementally that's having a lot of positive impact. But having spoken to you and Grace and lots of people in the Laconic team, I feel like you're doing the opposite. You're saying, what is the, what is a massive, massive problem with the world and how do we solve it and you're you're going you're going for the jugular on some of the world's big yeah which, we, is the, which is the bit i always love yeah we are and um but that doesn't mean we're going to impose it upon anyone right because we yeah. know that imposing it upon people isn't the way forward the reason not the reason one of the driving factors for having land here in bali is that yeah. when i first came here and i saw the state of the monoculture of rice farming and learned from local experts the amount of pollution that goes out into the streams, into the ocean, and kills the coral reef, kills the fish. You know, its herbicides are one of the greatest disruptors of coral reef breeding. And I inter interviewed uh, Steve Box, who's a world-leading PhD marine biologist. He's an expert in coral, and he explained the mechanism of how the herbicide acts as a signal blocker and the coral reef basically shuts down so it doesn't breed and so herbicide here is used extensively across all of these crops and so i started looking into how do we encourage these farmers to use all organic herbicides which are, are available there's a company in jakarta that's world class and makes this stuff not only is it organic but it restores the land and restores the soil because it's microbial in, in its nature and the one thing I realized really quickly was talking to local farmers, it was that it, I could tell them until I was blue in the face how good it was to do it and it wouldn't make any difference. What I had to do was show them. And so yeah. I've become a an organic farmer with, a, with rice paddies. And right now we have 50 or 60 different food crops and herbs on the land and we've left half of the land uh fallow which is rice paddy field so that it can detoxify and we're spraying it with bacteria and we're letting just weeds and everything else grow in it to give it a bit of time then we're going to come in and we're going to do fully organic and just and this is to show the local farmers rather than tell them and we're hoping that from the showing when they come and see it and go holy cow we could also be doing this on our land that will make that kind of impact but that's on the small scale as you know in north africa we're doing a half a million hectares of regenerative agriculture has never been done on that scale before um and we're doing that sort of scale because yeah like you say uh, you know uh, we're going for the jugular over 30 percent of the world's co2 comes from agriculture and so in my lifetime i mean i regularly ask myself when i'm an old man in my end of days what would be the one kind of impact that i look back on and I'd love to start a farming renaissance, or I wouldn't, I'm not starting it, but at scale, enable a farming renaissance at scale. There's, there's regenerative agriculture going on all around the world. It's just not scaled at this level. So it's exciting. We'll either go down in a ball of flames and have half a million hectares, which is the size of Bali, pretty much, uh, of, of sand and soil that never quite took off, or, or we'll be signaling to the world that, you know, you can start doing this in a much better way. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the bit that we're really excited to have you guys at the Blue Earth Summit this year and, and yourself yourself talking. I think that the, the headline, you're, I always look for a theme and a message that comes out, out, comes out an event and the headline 
theme that came out was last year, and it's probably probably came from um, Bertrand Picard's talk. He he sort of concluded we must go after the impossible, otherwise nothing will ever change. And he he has every right to say that because he's first guy to go around the world in a hot air balloon, then he was the first guy to go around the world in a solar powered aeroplane. So he's he's kind of saying, I everyone told me this was impossible and I did it. And actually, as startup businesses, innovators, change makers, adventurers, if we don't start challenging the norm, we're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna get absolutely nowhere. Um and I guess that's kind of what you're doing. You're doing on a you you're doing on a macro scale and a bit that makes me excited about having you there and talking through some of the examples of what you're doing is I feel like you're bringing the next stage the evolution of that that conversation of we must go after the impossible to innovate and actually say well we go after the impossible and we make it happen and I think your approach to getting experts around problems and and solving them on a on a on a large scale on on a global scale is is really inspiring regardless of if you're a already a massive company or if you're a, a business your early stage it's all about that belief i guess that comes back to that kind of adventurous mindset that i yeah. think we've concluded that we've got from that outdoor outdoor experiences the lunacy you, know, the, you mean the, yeah the lunacy yeah if, if you if you believe in something enough you can make it happen absolutely um, and that make it make it happen theme is a, a great one so tell it's important i think we we we've, we've got to jump out of the the um theoretical stuff as much as possible and actually get into the action yeah no one needs no one needs another academic paper no you know no one needs another academic paper to tell us how the problem could be fixed yeah yeah we've all seen the stats now so it's now crack on let's let's solve the problem and there's definitely a shift it's definitely feeling more positive out there but that might be naive optimism <laughs> but I hope I've always been optimistic. I think wherever you put your attention, you're going to find the evidence to what you're finding. I have friends, I have friends, I have people that I know who here in Bali who are complete conspiracy theorists about pretty much everything that they can't understand. You know, and yeah. typically, I mean, I wrote about this in our book in, in uh, Resilience by Design. We talked about how, why people join cults and it's because it, it, one, there's an egotistical element to it that the, the smaller and the more obscure the idea that you're believing in, or the smaller the group, and the more extreme the idea, the more sophisticated you feel. Uh, if you don't have the the self awareness to realise that you're actually actually very unsophisticated because you're believing something without any evidence. Um, yeah. Uh, but the other is simply that, like in COVID, when you get a million different conspiracy theories about what's going on. When people can't grasp the size and scale of a problem, like environmentalism, you know, or rather like the environmental you know, problems that we're facing, and because they can't see it directly in their face, they come up with all different stories. This is no different to people living in a village hundreds of years ago saying that there are trolls in the forest. Because when they go out at night, they can't figure out why it is that there are all these sounds and the shapes are moving. They don't realize that. You know, their eyes play tricks on them at night. And so, or why the milk goes sour. You know, the spirits have come in and made the milk go sour because they don't know that bacteria exists with lactic acid <laughs> as a byproduct. And so it's not changed. It's like now we have, we don't necessarily have spirits and trolls and demons in the milk, but we have conspiracy theories. And we have people, you know, not being able to grasp the fact that we, have an environmental crisis because they you know they might be seeing it a little bit on their doorstep but not to the degree that in other countries that they are and so yeah we the uh, uh the temptation to join a cult can be in a world like today you know <laughs> where there's so much in our faces so much information i imagine it is quite tempting and to buy into conspiracy conspiracy theories and the likes um yeah Tell me the Bluer Summit. So you've talked about it a lot. You've you're like the consummate marketer because you've mentioned it pretty much uh, about a dozen times now. Uh, it did the complete opposite to my last guest, by the way. Who, when I asked him to at the end of the interview give us his website address and his Instagram account, he was too embarrassed to do so. I had to literally tell him what it was. Um, so, uh, but I, I think that you're revealing my inner inner hustle, which yeah. isn't. 
I, I yeah, but you care I, I about it, don't you? And you value it. That's why, because it's isn't you're not trying, you're not it. trying to market it. You're it's it's like it, if it's valuable, sell it. You know, if yeah. you believe well, it, I'm, it I'm, I, I, I'm excited by it and and equally terrified. I think we we've as as a group of founders, we realised we've got something pretty good in the Blue Earth Summit. The, the reaction from a year we invested a lot in a year one event. We had a really positive reaction. We've got amazing people flooding back to sort of come at it a year two. We're, I hear I really go on a seller. You've really got me going now. But no, the, but um, what's, so what's it all about? Because there'll be people listening to this who don't know what the Blue of Summit is. And it, this is this podcast is going out next week. So we've got plenty of time to get people interested if they're in the UK or indeed, I mean, I'm flying in from Bali to the UK for it, back to my hometown of Bristol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's it about? I still um, don't really know what it's about. Just to close off the terrified bit, just, we're very excited by it. The, the terrified bit is because we've got something good and the reaction has been so strong, as a group of founders, we we are, we are working incredibly hard to kind of make sure we realise its full potential and that's getting the right people around it and saying, you know, how far can we take this thing? Because the bigger it grows, the more impact it has. That, that The whole event is, is basically bringing people together that, see business as a force for good but they're in, inspired the, the common thread is that, it, that everyone there is or will be inspired by the power of the outdoors um so the, the event itself is in october um again this year from the 11th to the 13th um it's a three-day event so the first first couple of days are in central bristol where there is a combination of big keynote talks panel discussions workshops um and there's a there's cool funding element that runs through the middle where we sort of find and fund lots of impact businesses pioneering adventurers and impact sort of community projects um but the idea of if, if someone comes along is they're kind of coming to learn about how they can live and work better um so we bounce for, between speakers that are coming from that sort of adventurous pioneering backgrounds talking about going after the impossible like i mentioned earlier to uh, business leaders talking about the fact that if we are going to design businesses that are forced for good, that we must make sure that the end product is all encompassing um, as an example, where we can't just be designing solutions for the middle, the middle class and the upper class. We've got to be thinking about this on a global scale and what can we do as businesses to be, to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, so that that's the idea is people come along and they, see amazing content from from leaders and specialists in their fields they can attend workshops but i think the bit that you, you the bit that's probably most valuable um is the connections that you'll make it's a room full of people that have been inspired by the outdoors get outdoors and they've, they've taken that and they're, they're doing a lot of amazing things through the businesses that they own run or or they're part of and we we put quite a lot into the the connections that are made. So day three of the event actually moves out to the Bristol Wave, um, which is an inland surfing lake. And that's where we have a day of what we call experiential networking, where people connect with people while they go surfing, um, while they go running, while they go cycling. Um, and that's purely based on our own experiences and the, the networks that we've built up as, as a team, is we, we felt we've got to know our best connections, our most valuable connections when we've had really positive experiences with people. Um, so we're trying to recreate that. It's a little bit of practicing what we preach, which is saying it all starts with a healthy mindset, which comes from outdoors. So let's let's have a day outside. Um, and then it's also backed up by the fact that over the years, I've made some some of my best business and friend connections over, over that sort of outdoor connection. So that hopefully gives a little bit of a flavor of, of what it's what it's all about. Um, and importantly, it's designed as an event to have impact. I think there's not enough enough events that are put on for the sake of it. They become echo chambers. There's you know preaching to the converted, whereas we really want to get into that make it happen mantra of there's a lot of people there connecting, learning from others, seeing what they can be, what they can do better. And then we've got this pitch tent element that I mentioned that's all around making sure we drive money into the projects and the businesses that are going to go on and do really good good things so there's 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 a lot of pitching that happens there's a lot of investors in the room too so as you curate the event you're obviously mm. guiding the themes that are going to be spoken about for instance on the various panels what do you yep. view 
what what this year are you viewing as pressing enough to exist in that limited time frame of having these panels and these conversations like what to you is the most important conversations we should be having i think the 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 theme that i want people to take away from the most is it is always based around the simplicity of getting people to have the right mindset so wherever anyone can sort of push on how how can we get more people to change i still know a lot of friends that sort of want to be more sustainably conscious but they might in fact someone said this to me the other day it's like yeah i want to do the right thing but is my is me picking making one decision in a shop going to make a huge difference when there's there's a much bigger problem out there and there's bigger issues in china and bigger issues over in this part of the world and that part of the world so i i and i would I'd, i'd be more excited about changing that person's mindset to say actually it is all incremental change and what you do on a personal level what you do in business makes a big big difference so that's more of a generic theme there's definitely um sort of we're, we're going to there'll be loads of sort of workshops and ideas on what little bits people can be doing within business to 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 change and do better we're bringing in themes of very relevant to yourself and I'm sure you'll get involved in the conversation around regenerative farming which is obviously a sort of a, a buzzword that's definitely being thrown around a lot at the moment but I think there's a lot of people that still need to be educated on what does that act, actually mean how does that impact them um what are the benefits so we want to we want to bring that to light i don't think we could, we we can't ignore the um the various crises that we're we're going through at the moment so um going beyond the environmental crisis looking at the sort of energy crisis that we're we're experiencing and um how we can turn that into a positive and and shift people towards renewable sources and 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 so on and what does that actually mean because you kind of see a lot of people throwing it out on social media going well let's just not use oil and um no gas and let's all just go to solar and wind um and which is all, a lovely little starve and uh, yeah and have a zombie apocalypse so yeah. about a week later but yeah we want to just get into that so that we can so people get a bit more educated and they understand what does that mean what are the business doing how can how how can how can that kind of thing happen and what is going to happen rather than just be over, overly um you know, it's overthinking the dream world um so that i think there's there's all sorts of different themes we we you know we've got that common theme of outdoors and business for good but we've also got to take into the fact of so much is happening around the world um at such a pace at the moment that we've got to make sure that what we're talking about is is relevant but the idea is in simple terms a business or a consumer can come along and just take away a few little learnings that will make them be better at work or in life or day to day. What of those learnings have you applied to your life that have had the most impact? I'm not talking about the business I already asked you that, but you personally. What do you yeah, do, what do you do differently since you've been in this this world? I, I the bit the bit that I've learned is regardless of the, the 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 trap that I personally fall into quite a lot is the more stressed I am, um the less kind of focus I put on my own mental and physical health you know it's all it's all stress 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 must work harder must sort of trade out of a problem or must fix that problem and that will ring in my head when actually that is probably the point at, that is even more crucial that I need to be tuning into the fact that I probably should just go for a run go for a swim in the sea um and so on and you you see just little bits where some of some of them you know I've actually I've mentioned them before but Finisterre do a very cool thing where they say on a Tuesday they say to all their staff come in a couple of hours later but make sure you get in the ocean and it's just little little things like that and we try and do similar things with uh, with our with our company but on a personal level I'm um much more conscious about looking after myself physically because then I'll get a better mental version of 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 who I am um so there's I've always kind of known it and it's kind of frustrating when you know that I should do it but it's actually just being a little bit more rigid with myself to say do do the things you love make sure you're staying fit staying healthy doing challenges because that that will um get you through those harder moments and there's and everyone everyone's everyone's got those challenges in life I wrote a book just for you called resilience by design <laughs> well I co-wrote it with Ian my former business partner on Amazon okay it's waiting wow. it's waiting for you it's exactly what you need to to okay to make, there we go there's there's my plug 
That's the hey, first the time. I, one. Uh, of the eight podcasts I've done in the last couple of weeks, I haven't mentioned my book. I think I've done it twice. So now. silly. It's, it's like you, silly to me, Mike. you've got me in the marketing mode, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, and just to, to finish up on all of this, what sort of people do you, do you think get the most benefit from coming along to the Blue Earth Summit? Is it business people or is it uh, people, members of the public? Are they going to get much from it? It was a bit of a combination. When we first put it together, we really grappled with, is it a consumer event or is it a business event? Mm. And then we sort of concluded that the type of person that we're going after is that outdoorsy person that's doing great stuff in work. So we decided it was better to go down the business the business angle because it's we can get to more people have more impact and and it sort of it correlates with our belief that the, the systemic change in the world is going to be driven by business so that that was the right place for us to place place this event um so we are predominantly aiming at business business leaders directors decision makers um that can come come into the event learn learn as much as possible and take that away with them and apply that in, into their companies through their people through their staff into their customers so um we, we did find that it was you know quite a high quality audience last year i think 58 percent of the audience were director or founder founder level um which is which is really exciting and as, as we kind of grow it from 1000 to 5000 people you know that we we're very conscious of making sure that we hold on to the consistent feedback well, the value that people saw in connecting with really good, high-quality people, um, because obviously as you grow, you know, it's hard when, as you scale up, but that, that's something that you've got to focus on, how do you hold on to what makes this special and authentic. Maybe um, only 15 or 20 years ago, people would have been saying it's business that's going to destroy the world. And in many cases, it is because consumerism. We need businesses to yeah. keep that going. Your point then about you see that business is actually going to have the most impact or is going to be the the catalyst for the change uh, is that because you predict businesses moving across to more environmental ethical ways of doing their current business or is it because you expect them they expect a lot more new businesses with no. creative solutions what is it uh, what what, what, the, what the guys we... yeah, what goes that idea the phrase that we've often thrown around is it's businesses that got us into this problem and it's business that's got to get us out. You know, as it, come back to that example that I just gave of a friend saying he, he tried, he wants to be eco-conscious, but, you know, if it's not convenient for him, he's not going to do it. Or if it's not cost-effective, he's, he's not going to do it. So if you want mass change and systemic change that actually has a global impact, it's got, it's got to be made easier for consumers at the end of the day human nature is quite lazy. We all, we all like our ways of doing things and it is very hard to make, make people change. And so the business has got to come up with a solution that makes that possible. And important, important, importantly, and Richard Walker's um, the managing director of Iceland who's speaking, speaking this year, is going to do a whole talk around that of talking about coming up with solutions that are all encompassing um, because you know he's running a supermarket that's aimed at people who are pretty much on the breadline. So that he he has customers that can't even afford to care. You know they're more worried about getting food on food on the on the table rather than what the impact is on the planet. They can't afford to worry about the planet. They've just they've got mouths to feed, and that's their focus. Um, so it's kind of that, that's where I think business has such a crucial part to play. Is the consumer will either follow suit because it's convenient. Um, or cost-effective, so it, it, it's super important that it's led by business. My second ever job was at Iceland in Bedminster Parade. Well, there we go. You get stacking, like stacking the freezers. Unfortunately, yeah. I, only, I, I lasted about a month, I think, before I got bored of breaking the boxes out the back and stacking, restacking the freezers. But yeah, I know Iceland there well. We I could probably tell him what sits in uh, in freezer number seventy-five. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, all right good. well well look no, I, i'm i'm greatly looking forward to coming to the event and um and giving you know my two pennies worth on how we can make an impact in the world and as you rightly put it we're going after the the big stuff but i think it, it you know you've 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 brought up the fact that it needs to be at the business level but there, of course and at the individual level and every little thing that we do makes a big impact and and helps the cause 
I don't expect overnight there to be some massive transformation or revolution. And actually, you can't change cultures that way. You come into a, a company and try and change cultures with a new CEO, with new idea, and it all gets rejected. And it's no different out in the world. We have to do it in nudges. You know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the world is is it's all very political, even on a day to day basis, with friends and family to business to sort of big global crisis you got to everything everything's got to happen a certain way otherwise it doesn't happen at all one thing i can guarantee you is next time you come to bali to go surfing there will be on average at least 50 to 100 pounds per day less garbage because that's how much we're catching in one tiny little stream that runs adjacent to our farm so we're going to start doing a lot more of that over the island in the weeks amazing it's been been too long since i've been out there but I've, yeah I've, traveling around indonesia is definitely something i, I want to do well, i want to do more of well post blue earth <laughs> summit maybe if you need a holiday you can come back down here we've got plenty of room at the house perfect perfect good brilliant good, well thank you good so speaking much, to you guy real pleasure speaking to you thanks for your time and we'll catch up uh very soon perfect cheers mate cool. thanks bye-bye bye bye, bye.